Thank you, David. Thank you, Miss Jonna. Appreciate you stepping out of that comfort zone. <laughs> it's good to see you tonight. I pray the Lord will bless you for being here as you close out the day worshiping the Lord as we begin. It's always, a, to me, one of those special times, and I'm glad that you're here tonight to, to do exactly that. Take your Bibles, if you will, and let's look into 1 Corinthians as we continue to look at this great letter. The Apostle Paul wrote to a church that I keep telling you was both a mess and a marvel, but had a lot of messes to clean up, a lot of things to address. And I think I shared with you last week, this was not the first letter Paul had written. This is actually the second letter. Uh, it's just the first that made it into the Scripture. And, uh, and then, of course, apparently there was a letter between this one and 2 Corinthians, and then we have 2 Corinthians. That was one of the questions in, in, uh, in seminary, was what if one day somebody digs up the first letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians? Or what if somebody digs up the third letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians? And you know, that was an interesting debate among uh, the students, but the reality was that because Scripture has been fixed and canonized in the church, that neither one of those two would be accepted as Scripture. Now, it would be wonderful to read. It would fill in a lot of gaps, and it would be considered, I think, way up on the list of things to read. But it would not be considered the scripture that these are. Obviously, the Lord chose these letters to be not only saved and, and copied and circulated among the churches, but they are proven to be authoritative in, in, in every respect to, to our life. So uh, here we are looking at what Paul had to say to the Corinthian church, and now he's going to talk about the relationship between saints and sinners. Now, you know, as a pastor, many times I've been asked, what is the relationship we should have with lost people? If we're believers, what, what should be our relationship? You know, the Bible does have some things to say that we should not do with lost people. One of them is to be unequally yoked. We're not to be unequally yoked. That means in terms of marriage, also means in terms of business, contractual agreements that would link us in a way that we would not be able to get out of something where we might be embarrassed by the actions of others uh, who are not saved. And so there, there's those issues. Uh, that, that Paul addressed, and, but at the same time, the opposite side of the coin is we are to love people, we are to witness to them, we're to share Jesus, we're to minister where needs are. Uh, we are, I believe, and I've said this many times, a church really doesn't become the church that Jesus wants the church to be until we're actually known as the friend of sinners, because that was what Jesus was known as. He was known as the friend of, of sinners. That means we condone what they're doing, doesn't mean we live like them. It just means that we respond to them the way that Jesus responded. And if you look in the Gospels, you'll see how he responded uh, to those who uh, were sinners and in need of salvation and in need of, of knowing who he was. But let's look at what Paul had to say here tonight because there is an interesting situation that emerged in the church the Apostle Paul was dealing with, and actually two different things. One was lawsuits um, uh, between believers and the other had to do with sexual immorality uh, regarding people basically continuing on in a lifestyle that they had before they were saved. So let's look together at what it says. But tonight we're just going to look at verses 1 through 11. We'll address verses 12 and following next time, although I will pick a verse or two out of there for reference of something else. But tonight we're just going to look at verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 1, God's Word says, When any of you has a legal dispute with another... Does he dare go to court before the unrighteous rather than before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you not competent to settle trivial suits? Do you not know that we will judge angels? 
Why not ordinary matters? So if you have ordinary lawsuits, do you appoint as judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Is there no one among you wise enough to settle disputes between fellow Christians? Instead, does a Christian sue a Christian and do this before unbelievers? The fact that you have lawsuits among yourselves demonstrates that you have already been defeated. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? But you yourselves wrong and cheat, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, passive uh, homosexual partners, practicing homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, the verbally abusive, and swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you once lived this way, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as we examine this more closely. I pray it will be your Holy Spirit who inspired these words to be written by the Apostle Paul, who made sure the letter was not only sent to the church at Corinth, but circulated among the churches. And Lord, even today as we open our Bibles, there is this letter. There are these words we looked at tonight that were inspired by you, and Lord, that are there for us to receive whatever we need from you, whether it is encouragement, correction, rebuke, Whatever it may be, Lord, it is to correct us. It is to help us to live the way you'd have us to live, particularly within the church and with one another. And so, Lord, tonight, would your Holy Spirit just be our teacher yet again. Give us wisdom, give us insight, give us understanding, so that as we look at this together, Lord, it'll be you who will penetrate our hearts and our minds and, Lord, reach into the very depths of our being, and may we see more clearly the kind of people we ought to be given, Lord, what you have promised that we're going to do yet in the future. So, Lord, would you do your great work in this place, and if there's someone here tonight who doesn't know Jesus, may tonight the work of your Holy Spirit, and in response of faith, they might receive your great grace and your gift of salvation. We'll give you praise and thanks for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this pastor scripture, several things, and uh, as a pastor from time to time, I've actually had to cite passages from this verse dealing with issues among believers, dealing with how believers and unbelievers relate to each other. So let's look carefully at this. First off, I want you to notice that Paul addresses the state of the sinner. Notice that in verse 1, he calls those unrighteous or ungodly. In verse 6, he refers to them as unbelievers. In verse 9, if you'll look at that passage of Scripture, it says, unrighteous or some translations actually the king james i believe here uses the word wicked and then as you look at all these descriptions these ways in which paul describes those outside of christ those who are unbelievers those who are the ungodly the the, the those who are practicing unrighteousness that is the condition of every person who has not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. We need to understand that. In fact, I'm convinced as Christians, and I have to do this even myself, I have to remind myself over and over, they are what they are because of who they are. They act the way they act because of who they are and where they are in terms of their relationship. 
with God. My wife the other day had to remind me of this. I was kind of fussing a little bit about what somebody had done and, and said about something. And, and it was talking about a lost person. And my wife said, do you not hear yourself when you preach? <laughs> do you not hear the fact that, that that's exactly the way they're supposed to be? I said, yes, I know that. I don't sometimes act like I know that, but, but sometimes we have that problem. We look at people outside the church and we judge them and we look at them and as if they're doing something uh, so egregious we can't believe they're doing it and yet at the same time that's exactly what they would do because they're not Christians. They live by the flesh and the flesh produces all kind of things that is against the will and the word of God. So as we look at the state of the sinner, I think it's important for you and I to understand that as Christians... One of the reasons it's so important for us to conduct ourselves with each other the way we do is because ultimately it matters to the state of the unbeliever. Here Paul is saying you're acting the way you're acting within the church and you're taking matters of the church outside the church to unbelievers. What will that do to the advancement of the gospel? What does that say about your being changed by Jesus? What does that say about your ability to, to live a life under the direction of the Holy Spirit and conduct yourselves according to the Word of God? What does that say? That doesn't really uh, help the state of the sinner at all. <laughs> and yet there are a lot of people today, even in churches today, who utilize the court system just like they were doing in the days of Corinth and trying to make sure that they get every penny they're they supposed to have, get every parcel of land they're supposed to have, get everything that's supposed to be coming to them. And if necessary, they'll take a believer to court to sue them for whatever it is. Paul says, why in the world would you do that? Can you not judge it yourself? Can you not settle the matter within the church? Can you not settle the matter among believers? But the state of the sinner, not only are they ungodly, not only are they unbelievers, not only are they unrighteous or wicked, but, but they're confused. Because they're confused by the act of Christians. I'm convinced one of the most difficult things today about Christians being able to win hearts and minds to the, to the Christian faith and to the gospel of Jesus Christ is they just don't see any difference between us and them. And they're confused. I don't understand why we can talk about the new life that we have in Christ and the new relationship that we have not only with God, but supposedly with each other, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But some, somehow we can't conduct ourselves in such a way so that the world outside looking in sees that on a day-to-day -day basis. Jesus actually said this, and sometimes we need to be reminded of this as well. Jesus said to his disciples, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By this they'll know whether they're believers unbelievers. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another when we don't love each other when we look at each other in terms of of a means to get something we want something we think we deserve something that maybe yes we're entitled to maybe maybe it is something that we've been cheated out of maybe it is something that is egregious but here paul makes a statement later on in this passage of scripture it'd just be better for you to just be wronged It'd be better for you just to be cheated and not try to address it than to take this outside the body of faith and into the world to create a problem. Yet we have people doing this all the time. Paul said, don't do this because of the state of the sinner. For goodness sakes, don't do it because 
they, of all people, need to see Jesus. They need to hear the gospel, and they don't need to be confused by the act of believers who are actually, by their lifestyle and by their actions, even with regards to one another, hindering the spread of the gospel. Well, let's look on something else here. Not only is there the state of the sinner that Paul wants them to consider in their relationship between themselves, one another, but also their relationship with lost people, but, but the salvation of the sinner. In other words, Paul cites some things here that's happened to every one of them that they should be looking at and realize, hey, you know what, even if I don't get everything I'm supposed to get, even if I am cheated, even if I am wrong, none of that changes certain truths that are unchangeable and we should look to. For example, in Jesus we've been washed. Look at verse 11, almost all of them except one is found in verse 11. He talks about the fact that they are suing each other. He talks about the way in which these lost people are living. And, and then he says, some of you once lived this way. And then he says, and this is the salvation of the sinner. But you've been washed. What does that mean? Well, you've been washed in the blood of Christ. Your sins have been washed away. You've been forgiven. In other words, you have been made clean by the, by the, the work of Christ. In fact, Jesus, remember when he was washing the disciples' feet, and he came to Peter. Peter said, you're not washing my feet. That's what a servant does. You're not a servant. You're my master. You're my Lord. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have anything to do with me. You have no part in me. And then Peter said, well, then just wash me from head to toe. And, of course, Jesus said, well, I just wash you just your feet. You're, you're good. In other words, because you'll be made clean. Folks, at the moment you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we were washed and made clean. That's a, that's a powerful thing to think about. You know, I'm glad we live in a day where most people, I say most people, take a bath every day or shower or something. Now, not everybody does, I can tell. Every now and then I'm around somebody and I can tell. And, and even worse, they try to cover it up with cologne or perfume and then that just makes it even worse. Uh, because all of a sudden all that engages with all the ingredients of whatever it is they put on. And, and you know, when somebody has been with you and leaves and they're still with you five minutes later, that's too much. But there are some people like that. But, but the other extreme, you know, I had that happen with my grandfather. We were going blackberry picking and, and this was when my grandfather had the old 50-something Ford. It did not have, a, did not have any air conditioning and, and uh, we were making our way up the mountain where it was called Owen Mountain. We were going to where Mr. Owen's place was to pick blackberries. And, and I was sitting in the front seat at that time. Uh, it was a bench seat, had a little airplane on the hood. I remember as a kid, thought that was the coolest thing ever. Clock right in the middle. I can still see all that in my head. We we're making our way up, and he said, we're going to stop by Mr. Owen's house because we want to make sure he knows, even though he's told me I can come up here and blackberry pick, we're going to make sure he knows that so he don't shoot us while we're up here. Because when I tell you I have met honest-to-goodness, uh, they, they like to be called mountain men, Brother Bill, but, but we call them hillbillies. And I actually have some in my family. Uh, they do, I do. I just honest-to-goodness have them. And so we're making our way up the mountain. We're going to stop to see this man who lives on the mountain who's pretty much away from civilization and for a good reason. And we pull off into his house, and we come in his house, and the odor, if you've ever had the worst underarm smell you've ever smelled, multiply that 10 times, and that's what the house smelled like. He and his wife 
He had a white T-shirt on that was no longer white. It was yellow because I don't think he had changed that in over a month. And this man didn't have a bath but about once or twice a year. So when I walked into that house, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> you have never smelled anything quite like that. And, of course, you know, my grandfather's talking to him and says something about we're going blackberry picking, and he said the worst words I've ever heard in my life. I'm going to go with you. And he got in that truck or that car, and I'm in the back seat now, and guess where air goes when you vent? It all came back. And somewhere in that road trip, bound up the mountain to get the blackberries, I remember this part of the conversation. I said something about chiggers, and the man said, Mr. Owen said, I'll never forget it. He said, ain't no chigger bother me. It dies before it gets up to my knee. Well, and no doubt that was true. That man needed to be washed. But folks, to God, that's exactly the way sinners are until they've been washed. But once they've been washed, they are forever clean. Wouldn't you like just to be able to take a bath and that be the last bath you ever had? Because from then on, you'd be just as clean as if you just got out of the shower. But that's exactly what happens to us spiritually when we get saved. We are forever washed in the blood of Christ. Now, that is something we can get excited about. That's the salvation of the sinner. Paul says, you've also been sanctified. What's that mean? Actually, these two words are somewhat out of order, but... Um, Paul is not trying to get them in necessarily in the right order, but he's men mentioning these things that have happened, but he says that you were sanctified. Well, first off, uh, we need to look at justified, because after that he says you were justified. What is justified? Well, at the moment you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were justified by faith. And what does that mean? That means at the moment you got saved, bam, the gavel came down in heaven. You are not guilty. Forever now and forevermore, for the rest of your life and for eternity, for all the sins of your life, past, present, and future, the gavel came down the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you were declared justified. That's, that's actually written in the Greek in the past tense of what's called the aorist tense. That means past tense, but it also means completed, not to ever be done again. You're justified. But then also you're sanctified. Now this is different because there's an ongoing process of salvation in which you and I are supposed to be uh, being freed from the power of sin. We're freed from the penalty of sin initially being saved, but we're supposed to be saved from the power of sin. This is why Paul's putting this in here. Hey, these folks need to get back to what's really important. It's not important about whether they got cheated out of a, a little bit of barley or a little bit of this or a little bit of that or whether this happened or that happened. Hey, it's more important for you to know that you are saved. You have been justified you've been sanctified you've been washed and if they get a hold of that some of these other things would not matter so much and then drop down to verse 20 we'll look at this more later but it says for you were bought at a price therefore glorify god with your body in other words don't worry in your life about all these other things you've been bought by jesus can i tell you something tonight you may not like this but it ought to stick in your mind for the rest of your life. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you have no rights. You gave them away. A bond slave does not have rights. He has a master. And we have a master, and that's Jesus. And folks, today the church is full of people talking about their rights and what they have and should have and 
and all these things. And, and I'm here to tell you that in Christ, when you came to faith in Christ, you gave away yourself. You presented yourself. Paul said in chapter 12 and verse 1 of Romans, you are to present yourself a living sacrifice. What's that mean? You have died to self. You have died to the things of the world. You have died to your own wants and your own desires and your own dreams. Everything about you now belongs to Jesus. And folks, you don't get that nailed down. You just continue to have issues in your life. You know how you get disappointed? Because you had expectations. You know why you have expectations? Because you think you've got rights. <laughs> in Christ, you gave them away. So Paul is telling them, look, why in the world would you go to, to, to sue one another? And that brings me to the third thing, and I want to address this for just a moment real quickly, and that is the status of the saints. See, Paul says, look, here's, here's, here's the salvation you have. This is why you shouldn't be doing what you're doing with each other. This is why you shouldn't be doing this in front of unbelievers and taking your case outside the church. But he's also saying this because of the status that you already have in Christ. What does he say? He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Look at verse 2. Man, I don't know if you've ever really paid attention to this. Jesus told the disciples that they would sit on thrones. And we are told that you and I will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that after death and we go to be with Jesus, when he comes back, he brings us with him. We're going to be assigned responsibilities in the kingdom of God. And those responsibilities will be based on how we serve him now. But that Jesus told parables about that, and he talked about how the fact that whatever you're going to have coming is going to be due to how you served here. But notice also that he says you're going to be judges of the world. In other words, you are going to have places of responsibility in the kingdom period in which people, the mortals of this earth, who are still having children, getting married, and so forth, they're going to bring their disputes. And who are they going to bring them to? They're going to bring them to us. How is it that we're going to be judging the world when we can't judge among ourselves? <laughs> when we can't even deal with what he calls petty disputes? You know, I've seen families come apart over almost nothing. Over a, a clock or over a, a table or over a, a Bible or something that they thought they should have. A piece of jewelry or, or whatever. I've, I've, I've actually talked to people. Well, I ain't talked to my sibling I hadn't talked to my brother, I hadn't talked to my sister in 25 years. Why? Well, then when they tell me, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? But you see, that's the way people are. And that's why there's such confusion among unbelievers, because they, you know, we're not even understanding who we are in Christ, that we will one day be made judges of the earth. In fact, it goes on to say, and I find this to be extraordinary, we're going to judge angels. Now, I want you to understand what that means. That doesn't mean that Michael and Gabriel and all the rest of them are going to be sitting before us and we're going to have a gavel in our hand and say, now, you, you, you tell me what the problem is. <laughs> That's not what it's talking about. But you and I will be present with Jesus when the fallen angels, the ones who followed Satan, the ones who left their first estate, like we read about today in, in Genesis and mentioned in Jude, those we're going to preside over and be there at their judgment. You see, God has put us in a position as believers that we can't even fathom, and yet we can't settle problems among ourselves. We treat 
these issues as if they're so monumental and so great. In fact, we don't even realize how insignificant they are. I mean, Paul goes on later to talk about sexual immorality, but he also talks about food and, and other things and how people think that everything's about their body and about their wants and about their appetites and about their desires. And Paul said, hey, one of these days it's all going to be gone. Better start focusing on what lasts, what's going to be around for, for eternity. Well, let's look on. In dealing with this matter of the Christians suing each other and taking each other to court and so forth, he talks about the condition of the unbelievers and why we need to be mindful of what we're doing before them. He talks about the salvation that you and I have experienced and what we have in Christ, that we've been bought with a price, and and the status of the saints being judges of the earth and judges of angels, and, and even, the, in verse 15, destined for resurrection, and verse 19, a temple of the Holy Spirit. By the way, you know angels can't be a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just people. You and I, mankind, we're, we're the only ones capable of being a temple of the Holy Spirit. I think angels up in heaven must be scratching their heads. And the Bible does say that they wonder about these things, about salvation. I think more than anything, they're just marvel at the fact, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> you see this guy down here, what he's doing, and, and you put your Holy Spirit in him? We don't get the Holy Spirit, but they do, and, and they do what they're doing. They say what they're saying. I can imagine some of the angels up there having a little conversation around the angelic water cooler. I don't get what's going on here. <laughs> I mean, the Holy Spirit's in them, and look what they're doing. But that would be what they could have said about the church at Corinth because of what they were doing. They were suing each other, taking their problems outside the church and, and committing these other sins and doing these other things. And, and I'm convinced that uh, the angels probably just marveled at that. But then also I just want to close by talking a little bit about the, the style of a saint, which what should be our convictions and what should be our concerns as, as a Christian? What is it that this passage of Scripture is really driving home? And Paul says it pretty plainly. Verse 12, and again, I'm going to talk about this later, but I'm just going to touch on it for tonight because this is kind of summing up what Paul's just talked about. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not everything's beneficial. All things are lawful, but I will not be controlled by anything. And I think that should be our conviction, that should be our concern, that, that we should avoid what's not beneficial in our life. Yeah, we could do it, but no, we're not going to do it, because it's not helping us in our witness. It's not helping us in our relationship with other believers. Yeah, you know, they could take somebody to court and sue to get what they want, but should they? In light of what Christ has done and in light of what that says to lost people. See, a lot of times I think as Christians we need to do a little checkup before we say things. We need to do a little checkup before we do things. What will this do to my witness to the lost people that are involved in this? That see me do what I do. This could be true at work. This could be true at school. This could be true in business, how we treat people. You know, I, I stand here tonight, and I'm not pointing fingers, and I, unfortunately, I just know who these people are, and I, I have to be careful what I say here. But, you know, I, I've been called by a waitress from a restaurant because of how badly she and others were treated by people from East Highland Baptist Church. 
You know how they knew they were from East Island Baptist Church? Because they left a bulletin on the table. If you're going to mistreat people at work, don't take a bulletin. I got the phone call. My wife said, can you believe that happened? And they left a bulletin. If people know you're a Christian, how you talk to them, how you treat them, in every respect. I don't care if you're in the checkout line at a grocery store, in a restaurant, dealing business with somebody. If you think you're being wronged, you think you're being cheated, could you do something about that? Could you say something about that? Is it beneficial? Is it expedient? In other words, is it going to help? Or is it, will it even enslave? Will it make a master? Become your master in your life? You see, Paul's just wanting them to understand that what's at stake here is not just whether or not they get what they think they deserve and, and settle issues. I think, and hear me, I think this is the mind of the Apostle Paul in this. He doesn't want them to take their matters outside the church. But I think in reality, Paul says, it'd just be good if a lot of that stuff didn't even take place in the church. That you just don't answer every slight, every criticism, every wrong, but that you just simply let the Lord have that. You see, that's the problem we have today. we got people all around the world who are dying as Christians. They're being persecuted for their faith. But we got people in our country, in churches today, who if they just get the slightest bit upset or offended or something, suddenly relationships are ending, suddenly people don't talk to each other, suddenly there's no forgiveness, there's no grace, there's nothing. And the problem is people outside the church get all of this. Paul says, more important to keep your witness than it is to keep your money. It's more important for you to do what is necessary to be able to bring glory and honor to the Lord, even if that means that you must suffer abuse or be wronged or be cheated, than for you to be wrong yourself by wronging somebody or cheating somebody. Folks, these are strong words. I told you from the beginning of the book, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he is blunt. <laughs> he does not mince words. He is confronting issues that are literally tearing the church apart. We've already seen where he was dealing with divisions among people in terms of who they were following and all these other issues that were in the church that they're dealing with in terms of pride and everything else. Paul, look at all this. And here he's still got this issue as well. It's like there's just one list. I, I think Paul must have had a list. <laughs> I got to address this, and then I got to address this, and then I got to address this, and then I got to address that. And I actually, in my spirit, when I read this passage of Scripture here, I think Paul's fed up. <laughs> I think I can actually hear Paul writing with an attitude because of what's happening to lost people outside the church, what they're seeing within the church. And that's why he says in verse 7, when you do these things, you've already been defeated. You've already destroyed what you should be about. How can you tell anybody about the love of God and how God brought love into your heart when you can't show it to those within the church? 
How can you talk about forgiveness when you can't forgive within the church? How can you talk about grace when you can't be gracious to those within the church? Whatever it is, know this. If you don't take anything else out of this sermon tonight, take this. When you gave yourself to Jesus, you gave yourself and all that you have and all that you are away. And you got far more in return. And if you can remember who you are in Christ and what you were to be about, I think we'll be highly motivated to do all the things the Lord tells us to do and not do the things we should not do. God help us. I would love, if nothing else, for people to say, I don't know about what's going on at East High Baptist Church, but when they come into our restaurant, they're the most generous, gracious people you have ever met. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Or people around business would say, man, when we do business with people at East High Baptist Church, my goodness, how gracious they are. Yeah, we messed up. But they were forgiving and gracious. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somehow or another that became our reputation instead of how we treat each other and how we treat those outside the church? God help us. God help us to know how we should treat saints and sinners alike. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as we come into the time of invitation. Lord, may again it be the time of your Holy Spirit to be at work. And Lord, help us to examine our lives, and particularly, Lord, in light of this passage, how we treat each other, how we treat people outside the church, how we talk about each other to people outside the church, how we deal with people. Lord, in all these things, I know it breaks your heart when there are those who are lost, who so desperately need to know good news, who need to know about Jesus, who need to see a transformed life at work, and yet, Lord, they are confused because of what they see in churches and what they see in our lives. So, Lord, help us to be mindful of what you've called us to be, what you have done for us, how you took us as sinners, washed us, justified us, or sanctifying us. Lord, one day you're going to resurrect us and then give us a position in your kingdom that we neither earned nor deserve, but by your grace you give Oh, Lord, I pray that tonight we'll just see that more clearly. And, and, Lord, the way we conduct ourselves this week in every area of life, Lord, would be reflective of knowing who we are and what we are in Jesus and what they need to be. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to be loving, gracious, merciful, forgiving. But above all, Lord, make us bold and courageous to share you with them. Have your will and your way in this moment of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name.